Hey, go ahead and find your seats. Go ahead and take a seat. Good morning, guys. Good morning. You guys awake? Uh, let me, I'm kind of curious to see what your, some of your answers are for the 30-second question. So what are, if you had a paid vacation, look, here's the thing. We got that church plant money, so no one's going to get a vacation from us today, okay? So we bless you to go. We'll stream online. You can, you know, stay connected to your Voice Church family. But what are some places that you said? Who's, who's bold? What's that? Japan. Japan. Awesome, yeah. What else? Who else? Italia. Italia. Nice. Get some pizza. When we went to, we went to Rome years ago, and I think we had carbonara every day. <laughs> we, we put on a couple pounds. But then we walked everywhere, so. Uh, wh- who else? Costa Rica. What's? Galapagos Islands. Nice. So exotic. Are there turtles there? Why do I think of turtles or Galapagos? Okay. That's not, that's not the big head. That's Easter Island, right? Different? Okay. Anyways. Anybody, anybody been to Galapagos? Oh, you're so fancy, Peter. All right. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's on my mind because uh, Nishi, I think, is in Mexico City right now. And then my neighbor, I was hanging out with him yesterday, Sergio. He's a, he lives a few houses down. Uh, he, he was talking about his favorite place in the world to go to is Mexico City. So we're talking about the food and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, so I think I'd want to go to Mexico City right now. Uh, so if anybody wants to go with me, let's, uh, let's roll. Uh, we'll eat some crickets together. Okay. Uh, just kidding. I'll, I'll try it. Okay, anyways, uh, see you here and over there. Hey, today is going to be a tad bit longer, okay? Usually, um, pastors will go, hey, today's going to be short, and they're lying. Today, I'm going to tell you up front, it's going to be a little longer. Not crazy long. We're not going to, like, pass out lunch in the middle of or anything. Uh, it's going to be a little longer because it's going to take a little bit of time to unpack this, and today's going to be one of those days where hopefully you're glad that I talk fast because it could be even longer, okay? So, uh, with that, we're in a series right now called Greatest Hits. So we're going through some of the uh, kind of big moments in Scripture, some of the big stories in Scripture. And I think what we found out in this series is there's a, there's a lot more stories to tell than we have time uh, to tell them. Uh, we are going to, just so you kind of know how the next uh, little bit is going, we're taking greatest hits through uh, June. And then in the month of July, we've done this every year since the beginning of the church. Uh, we kind of uh, passed the mics. We used to call it Pass the Mic. We call it Mic Drop. This summer, we're calling it Summer Mixtape. And we have guest speakers lined up through July, and they are awesome. So can't wait for you to hear uh, from them. And then in August, we're going to go into a series uh, called This is the Way. This is the Way. And so a uh, little Mandalorian throwback. So um, some of you guys are like, what does that even mean? Just just watch Mando, and you'll know what we're talking about. Actually, you won't know. That's not what we're talking about. So we'll unpack that in August. But it's called This is the Way. We're going to talk about what it means uh, to live like Jesus. Because I think there's this there's underlying uh, tone within the evangelical church that you can go to church, you can attend services, but not have to follow the way of Jesus at all, right? And so there's this dissonance when we read scripture in the New Testament and go, but how come the evangelical church and church leaders and church people aren't always known for being those things? Why is there such a difference between the way of Jesus and the people of Jesus, right? And so we're going to talk about what does that mean to be part of the way? And so Anywho, we don't want to unpack too much of that because we have a lot we got to talk about. Okay, today we're actually going to talk about a big moment that was after another big moment. So the precursor, the uh, moment before, God calls this guy named Moses to lead his people out of captivity with a promise that they're going to go to this place called the promised land, right? A A land flowing with what? Milk and honey. Good kids, right? So really kind of a weird picture of 
I just think like it doesn't seem very sanitary, but that's a whole other thing. It's flowing in milk and honey. In, in other words, it means it's going to be prosperous. They're not going to have to have want for anything. They're going to be taken care of, right? It's decadent. A land where they wouldn't be slaves anymore because they were in, in captivity at that point. They wouldn't have to worry about crushing labor and discrimination. They wouldn't have to worry about whether they're going to be able to thrive or not. And so you probably heard this story. Moses goes before Pharaoh and says what? Let my people go, Charlton Heston, right? Let my people go, and they go round and round where Pharaoh will say, yeah, I'll do it, and then he changes his mind, and then God says plagues. This happens over and over and over again. And eventually, Israel's liberated, and there's this climactic point where Israel's being chased by the Egyptian soldiers, and the Red Sea is in front of them, and the Egyptian army is behind them, and it looks like it's going to be like a lights-out moment, right? It's like game over, Right? And then the end of the road is they get to the edge of the water and God parts the Red Sea. Israel walks on dry land. And then as they, uh, the army is in pursuit and the last kind of Israelite crosses the Red Sea, the water comes back and drowns the Egyptian army. God the protector. It's, it's epic. It's epic, right? And now Israel is safe. But here's the crazy thing about this moment. They're not in the promised land yet. That wouldn't happen until decades later. So they're nomads. They're constantly on the move. They're constantly wondering what's going to happen next. They're, they're wondering where they're going to get food from. They're wondering, where, are they going to be attacked? There's actually several times, this is so fascinating, there's several times in this weird Middle Earth season where they actually ask God, can we go back to Egypt? It's weird, right? Because even though it was difficult, even though there was, uh, man, just horrendous situations that happened, they were slaves, literally. They had no uh, identity. They had no laws. They had no freedom. Uh, complete discrimination, and yet it was familiar, right? And sometimes uh, that can be us too, right? You ever been there? You walk out of a toxic situation or a workplace or a relationship, and you're like, it's exactly what you prayed for, that God would bring you to somewhere new, but then you're in this middle earth where you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you want to be either, right? You ever pray like, God, I want to start a business, and then you start a business, and you're like, I would like a steady paycheck, actually, instead of this, right? God, I want to get out of this relationship. Oh, God, I feel lonely. God, I want to do that. And all of a sudden, you're in this messy middle. That's where they're Israelites were at. It's kind of a dumb uh, thing, but the first thing I thought of when I read this is I used to have short hair, like, uh, like number two on the Clippers kind of hair, because uh, it was very practical, right? I never had to use product, uh, washing. I could just use, like, you know, the eight-in-one male man soap. You know, it kind of covers everything kind of and so uh, you can wash your car with it. You can do dishes with it. You can also condition your hair. Uh, so just all the same bottle. Just buy it by the gallon. And so I, I had that, and I, I used to ride motorcycles a lot, and so I, no helmet hair because there's no hair really to speak of. So anyways, I, Natalie wanted me to grow my hair out, right, luscious locks. And so uh, that was the promised land. I was land flowing with nice hair. So we were going to get there, uh, but we weren't there at the beginning. And the messy middle was so many awkward moments. I remember I filmed a video for something and someone commented on the video, what's going on with your head, man? It's like, I know, I know. I see it, I'm aware of it, I'm not happy about it either, okay? So there's that messy middle and some of us, we're there, right? It's like when you're cleaning your room, you decide to clean your garage or clean your room, it gets messier before it gets better. And you're going, maybe I shouldn't have started this process. It'll get better. Just because you're not where you want to be doesn't mean you are, you're, not, you're, you know, you're not where you used to be either. So this is the process that uh, the Israelites are in. It's really important for us to understand context of what's about to happen. So then there's this moment that I want to camp on today where God gives them the Ten Commandments. 
right? It's an interesting move. It's a really interesting move. I don't think any of us would have decided to do what God did because God's people, Israel, uh, are, they're confused, they're anxious, they're distraught. Some are ticked off at God. Some are really angry. There's a coup forming, right? They're starting to go towards false idols and stuff. And then God goes, I'm going to give you 10 rules. It's kind of weird if you think about it. And I think a lot of times we can look at these 10 commandments as 10 rules, 10 guidelines. And I don't think that's what they are. They are, but they're not. I don't believe that's, that's what, uh, how God wants us to view them. I, I want you, us to look at rules, especially in light of Ten Commandments or any other uh, things that God guides us, God sets up guidelines for you, as extensions of grace, extensions of love, extensions of relationship. And for some of us, when you hear that, you're going, that doesn't make any sense, Taka. I know, that's why we're going to take a little bit to unpack this. There's this idea in the Old Testament, or there's, there's this idea that the God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath, and the God of the New Testament is the God of love right? The God of grace. Old Testament, and everyone dies. New Testament, we're just around a campfire holding hands singing kumbaya, right? There's this kind of idea, but that's not really what's going on. So we're going to unpack that. There's a spectrum that all of us uh, live on. Uh, on one side, you have camp legalism, okay, camp legalism. And I don't know where you are, but I tend to lean uh, to this side. Uh, camp legalism is, uh, has, believes things like, man, if you love God, you have to be perfect. If you love God, you have to be perfect. It's about earning God's love and God's favor. That's what legalism believes. If you mess up, God's ticked. He's ticked. And you have to do something to earn right standing again, right? And I don't know whether it's because of nature or nurture or maybe a little bit of both or just bad theology. I lean this way naturally. I think my parents, no, I know my parents leaned this way. As grandparents, they don't, but as parents, they did. Okay, so there, something shifted when we, had, when we had grandkids. But it's like this idea of like, man, when I became a Christian later in life, I felt like every time I messed up, which I messed up often, I feel like I'm in the doghouse with God. God doesn't love me anymore. God can't use me anymore. I'm disqualified, right? I messed up, and I gotta, I gotta tithe more. I gotta serve more. I gotta do Hail Marys or whatever to get back, to earn right standing with God again, right? Camp legalism believes that, that God's the big judge in the sky. He's waiting for you to mess up. He's the cop that's following you, waiting for you to not use your blinker to pull you over, right? It's a big killjoy in the sky. Now, that's camp legalism. On the other side, you have camp uh, no responsibility, okay? So this side is like, God loves me no matter what I do, right? This is like the everyone gets a trophy kind of crowd, right? So like, God loves me no matter what I do, right? How come you can't forgive me? I said, I'm sorry. So it's all good, right? It's like I never messed up. So this person's like, I know I hurt you, but I said I was sorry so we can just move forward, right? right? There's no repercussions, right? I'm just an imperfect human, so you have to accept me unless you're perfect too, right? You can't judge me because it's all about grace and love. There's no rules. It's all about grace and love. If it's all about grace, why are you up in my face? This is, this is camp, no, no responsibility. So curious, and I want you to be honest here. Not, I don't think many people are all the way in camp legalism or anyone's all the way in camp, no responsibility. There's a spectrum. We all kind of lean one way or the other. And I was honest with you. I lean this way, and I think my whole family would say, yeah, obviously, Dad. So that's me. 
But, okay, raise your hand. I'm kind of curious. If you lean, you can't raise the person next to you's hand, okay? Even though I know you want to right now. Uh, so how, how many of you guys lean more towards camp legalism? Anybody? Yeah, and I think those of you guys raise your hand, you're, the ones next to you are like, yeah, that's true. And then how many of you guys lean more towards camp no responsibility? Yeah. So you guys like, I'm in the middle somewhere. I'm, you guys are the ones that are like, I'm a five. On every scale of one to ten, I'm a five. Right. So here, here's, here's the, the, what we got to realize with this. I know, as camp legalism for me, I tend to lean legalistic. Um, I like rules for other people. Okay, so just so we're clear, I like rules. I hold myself to a high standard in a lot of areas of my life. I'm not saying I always hit that standard, which is why I always feel kind of like low-grade imposter syndrome, right? Kind of a low-grade anxiety of like, I feel like I'm falling short in every area. I, I constantly feel like, and this is what I've had to work through and pray through, and I'm still on a journey. I feel like I'm disappointing people all the time, whether it's true or not, right? No one's made me feel that way, Right? I make myself feel, because I'm legalistic myself. And what I got to realize is, no matter where I land, that leaks out on the people around me. Right? Your family feels it, right? How, if you're camp legalism, how's your relationships? And if you're camp no responsibility, I'm sure there's people on your team, if, you're, if you lead a team or a staff or whatever, you have a hard time confronting people, because who am I to confront them? Right? But then there's people on your team that really wish you would kind of suck it up and confront some people if you're over here. And some of your team, if you're over here, feels like maybe you should just calm down a little bit. Not everything is DEFCON 1, right? And the reason why that's so important is we have to lean into the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important for us to do this. Because I can say, let's say we teach today about like, um, you guys need to take a Sabbath. Actually, we'll talk about that because one of the Ten Commandments. You need to take a Sabbath, okay? This camp will go, fine. This camp doesn't need to hear it. This camp needs to hear rise and grind. Every day is not a Sabbath. Okay, you need to actually produce something. You actually need to be responsible for the the things God has put into your life, the people God has put into your life, the calling God has put into your life. You need to be responsible for that. Be a good steward of that. Suck it up, whether you feel like it or not, and get it done. This side doesn't need to hear suck it up and get it done because they're already telling themselves that right? So the thing about teaching on a Sunday morning, other than the fact that most people will forget whatever you preach about by lunchtime, the, the, the harsh reality is that the people that most need to hear won't hear it. And the people that, that are kind of like, that, that almost can be used by the enemy to cause hurt in their heart, they hear it the most. This is why it's so important. The whole, the whole premise of Voice Church is predicated on the idea that God still speaks. That's why we call Voice Church. So you need to lean into, God, what are you speaking to me? This is why we end every teaching, pretty much every teaching, with some questions we want you to pray through, go into your prayer time and go, God, what do you want me to take from this? Right? So with that, a couple thoughts before we dive into this. One, uh, uh, contrary to popular opinion, the law is not the opposite of grace. The law is not the opposite of grace. Okay? We tend to think law, grace, they're at odds. No, they're not. The, the law, I believe, is actually an extension of grace. We'll talk about that. The opposite of grace. You know what the opposite of grace is? Just an absence of grace. Okay, so, but it's not law. We'll talk about that. Number two, you don't, you cannot deserve grace. You cannot deserve grace. Deserving grace is like planning your own surprise birthday party, right? Planning it kind of voids the idea of surprise, doesn't it? The moment you feel like you've earned or deserved grace, it's no longer grace. It's kind of an entitlement. 
And I think the church, the church, a global church, us as a, as a local church, is most appealing when the, when the message of grace is most apparent. And I'm telling you, those of you guys that are like me and lean over here, this is so hard for us. Because we have a, it make, every time we lean into rules, every time we lean into laws and guidelines and structure, it makes sense. It makes sense in the moment. And you can logically explain why you took that approach. But the end result of it is not health for you or for those that do life with you. Okay, so we got to recognize that. For these people, you got to talk to someone that's more like that. Uh, I can't speak to that. Okay, so the grace of God is often a casualty in the world of organized religion. Grace is a casualty of organized religion, which is so ironic. What's so weird is when someone first becomes a believer, many times there's a humility, there's a sense of evangelism, there's a sense of love for others, forgiveness for others. And then for whatever reason, what happens very often is the longer someone follows Jesus, the less like Jesus they can become. It's weird. The more we become, we can become arrogant, prideful. We're not humble anymore. We're not teachable. We care less about other people. We tend to be inward focused instead of expert, externally focused. It's really bizarre. So this gravitational pull is always towards graceless religion. This is why the Pharisees, who should be the ones pointing to Jesus, found themselves trying to kill Jesus. Because they've been following God the longest. It was, it was really ironic. The odd thing uh, is that the only thing Jesus stood against consistently was graceless religion. Do you know Jesus never really boycotted anybody? You know, Jesus never called out sin in those that didn't follow him. Jesus never expected those that didn't follow him to act like they were following him. And so many times the church gets their undies and abundies because we're these, these individuals that aren't even Christians aren't acting like Christians. Well, duh. These, these companies have never claimed to be Christian are not acting Christian. Yeah. But are you we're so focused on keeping Christ in Christmas that we're not focused on keeping Christ in Christian. Right? So this is a really important thing for us because it's, an, it's not even just a zinger. It's about evangelism. It's about evangelism. If there's nothing compelling about the way we're living, how could they possibly be compelled to follow Jesus? Right? So we have to live in a way that Jesus asks us to live, and it's the it's, it's the way of evangelism. So anyways, the people who crucified Jesus were those that claimed to know God but knew little of grace. And that's my natural propensity too. So the whole story of creation is grace, undeserved, unearned grace. In the beginning, what happened? Genesis, in the beginning, God created. Right? You're like, oh, is this your question? No, in the beginning, God created. Okay, but Why? Why? The story of Genesis is not a story of history as much as a story of why and who, right? We want to see this like it's an um, anthropological timeline. It's more of a why and a who idea than it is about a what happened situation. So in the beginning, God created. Why did God create? Was he lonely? He had nothing else to do? He ran out of his Netflix queue? Let's create some stuff? He created it for us. He created it for us. So God creates life. He creates lights. And what, what is that? That's, that's grace. If you don't think, I mean, I'm telling you, once you put these, these, these eyeglasses on of grace, you begin to see grace throughout Scripture. 
God creates life. He creates light. That's grace. And if you don't understand that light is grace, talk to someone who's losing their eyesight. Or anybody guys gone on, a, on a, like a, a driving trip with me through like the mountains? I do this all the time. Freaks people out. Freaks me out. It's exciting. I'm kind of adrenaline junkie. So at nighttime, you're going through the mountains, just shut your headlights off for like half a second, one second, three seconds. If you, you will lose your mind. You want to see calm people freak out? Just turn off your headlights for one and a half seconds. All of a sudden, when those headlights come back, I mean, it's, there's no light pollution. It is, you are in the abyss of space. Like you are in a black hole, right? And you turn that light on, then you realize, oh, light is grace. Light is grace. God's constant extensions of grace go unnoticed until they're gone. So many things in our lives that we take for granted, so many things in our life that may even annoy you, if that thing were to disappear, you'd miss it. And in that moment, you would recognize that they were that, that person or that situation were actually uh, the blessing of God. But even then, when we even have that epiphany moment, it's Thanksgiving weekends. You write out things you're grateful for. And then in the moment, you're grateful. And then the next moment, you're not. So God creates. And then everything, after God creates things, he says what? It is good. It is good. God creates leeches and mosquitoes and all this and says it is good. It is good. Here's a question. Good for who? Good for who? The tree is morally good? The slug is ethically good? No. It's good for you. It's good for me. Psalms say that the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? That the, the things, like the, 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 it's like the stars and the universe and the galaxies are, are shouting. Man, you can't even measure. You're guesstimating how big this expanse is. You're guesstimating how many stars and how many galaxies there are how many universes potentially there are, right? You're guessing at best, estimating this. But the Bible says that God holds the universe in the palm of his hand. And he's saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. Declaring to who? To God? To you. To me. Creation is speaking to us. You don't believe me? Genesis 1, 29 says this, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, to use and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Then to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life, and I give every green plant for food, and it was so. So God made the world and he handed us the keys. God made the world, and the very first thing he does, he goes, It's yours. It's yours. He didn't just toss the keys to some buffalo and say, Name everything. This is yours. It's like Adam and Eve, this is yours. I made this for you. Every sunset, the ability to harvest, the food, the, the beach, the jungles, the lakes, the waterfalls, canyons, caves, jewels, everything. It's all for you. It's all for me. There's more beauty in this world than it would take lifetimes to experience. For you. See, this is the, what one wants to get across. Is grace is never just enough. Grace is never just enough. It's always far more than enough. Grace is always extravagant. Grace doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have logic to it. It's irrational. It's irrational. That's what makes it grace. So what happens next? Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve, in response to all God's goodness, obeys? No. Well, what's that one thing we can't do? That's the one thing I want, right? All of us go, you know, before you point the finger at Adam and Eve, we do it, you do it, 
mean, I don't, but you do, right? So sin enters the world. Sin enters the world. And see, sin in Scripture is a very different idea than a lot of times we call sin. We, 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 a lot of times we can consider sin like a whoops, like a mistake, right? Like we tripped. We don't realize the impact and the power of sin. Actually, in Romans, in the New Testament, uh, right into the church in Romans, why it's called Romans, Paul says, uh, talks about the tr- this transition of sin entering the world, and he uses words like decay and corruption, right? It didn't say Adam and Eve tripped on a log in the forest. Decay, corruption, something shifted fundamentally in creation when sin entered the world. We don't have time to dive into this because the sermon's already going to be longer. But they were separated relationally from God. So what needed to happen? Relationship needed to be reinitiated. And it happened with Abraham. We talked about a couple weeks ago, right? So how did God reinitiate relationship with Abraham? With an order? With a rule? No, God initiated, reinitiated relationship with Abraham through an invitation to accept a promise. It's really important. The same relationship with Adam and Eve, he said this, will you trust me? Essentially, will you trust me? Will you trust my guidance? Will you trust my rules? Will you trust that when I ask you to do something, it's for your own good? Everything I've done since creation has been for you because I love you and I want to be in a relationship with you. And even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't want to do what I'm asking you to do because you think I'm trying to take something from you, I'm not. Trust my character. And so, Throughout history, we realize that grace is not reserved for good people. We see this throughout Scripture, and we see it in our own lives. The grace of God is not reserved for good people. The grace of God actually has nothing to do with your goodness. That's what's graceful about it, right? That's why it's such a blessing. The grace of God has nothing to do with your goodness. It, un- it doesn't underscore your goodness. It doesn't underscore your ability to earn it. The grace of God is underscores, uh, underscores the goodness of God. This is why Jesus even says, don't love people the way you want to be loved. Love people as I loved you. Hey, your enemy, pray for him. That's not, how many times should you you forgive somebody? 70 times, seven times in one day. When's the last time someone wronged you 490 times in one day? Right? Why? Because they deserve it? Doesn't talk about that at all. Your enemies deserve it? Doesn't talk about it. It says, just do it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. See, we want forgiveness for us, judgment for them, don't we? We want them to be judged by their actions. We want to be judged for our intentions. So God says, love them. Grace, grace. And to fully understand this, we need to understand that maximum freedom, maximum joy is found under the authority of God. It's so important for us to understand that as it relates to law and grace because I think we can think of, I want to do X, Y, and Z, and God's law keeps me from having fun. Right? The law of God, the authority of God, the uh, you know, coming under the umbrella of God means I, I'm not going to be able to do all the cool stuff I want to do. Right? What we've got to realize is the maximum freedom, the best life ever. Jesus says, I came to have life and life to the fullest. That's found underneath the authority and the direction of God. So here's the situation. Israel has been slaves for 430 years under Egyptian captivity. Ten generations. 430 years. To put it in perspective, the U.S. as we know it today was founded 247 years ago, 1776, right? 247 years ago. Israel was in captivity for 430 years, 10 generations. 
Israel has not been self-sufficient. Like a kid that became an adult overnight, they have no government, they have no king, they have no economy, they don't have rules of behavior. All they knew was captivity, oppression, and poverty. Waking up and someone else telling them what to do and when they can go to bed and when they can eat and when they can take a break. So what does God do? The very first thing is he takes them out, the big Charlton Heston moment, Red Sea, right? Brings them in the promised land. And what's the first thing God does? Gives them rules? Not yet. First thing God does the next is 20, he says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Why is that important? He's establishing a relationship. Hey, here's who I am. I am the God of your ancestors. I'm the Lord your God. And he says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, I'm your rescuer. You want to know who I am? I want good things for you. I want the best for you. So, Ten plagues, Passover, part of the Red Sea, guided them by a pillar of fire at night, cloud by day, supernaturally gave them food and water. What God was saying is, you're in. You're in. You've always been in. The thing is, did they have anything to offer? Had they earned this? They were slaves. They had nothing they could give God. Right? They hadn't earned any of this. But before God sets up guidelines in the Ten Commandments, he wants to make sure that they understand that they're in relationship. Why? Why? This, if you take nothing else from today, make sure you take this. Why establish and highlight relationship first? Because of this. Rules without relationships lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You know this to be true in your family, don't you? You know this to be true in your, uh, in your, on your sports team, in your office, and rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Look at the greatest teams. They love their coach. They respect their coach. They love their coach. Just listen to like Scottie Pippen or B.J. Armstrong or Jordan talk about, uh, what's his name? Son of a gun. Phil Jackson, like Buddhist. What's his name? Phil Jackson, yeah. I see the mustache. Uh, they talk, like, they're talking about their dad, right? Say so relationship, relationship before rules because rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Right? It's really important. Every relationship is built and or begins and ends with trust. And the level of trust shows the strength of that relationship. So as we go through this, do you trust God? Like, really? Do you trust that he wants something for you, not from you? If you think that God wants something from you, then you're going to see every rule as him taking something from you. If you understand that God wants something for you and you trust his goodness and you trust his character, then even when your parent says you can't have ice cream for dinner, you're going to go, okay, as much as I'm ticked off at that, I'm assuming it makes sense at some point, right? So we'll go through the Ten Commandments briefly. First one is this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God says, I want to be your one and only God. And as long as you can remember, this, as long as Israel could remember, every culture they'd been part of had multiple deities, Right? God of sun, God of fertility, God of the rain, God of guidance, God of whatever. And what God is saying is, I'm your all-sufficient source. I am everything that you need. And your obedience shows me that you trust my character. He is first among all their gods. What's interesting about this is you may look and they go, yeah, the talk doesn't apply. I don't worship other gods. Kind of. I'm not saying that you have uh, the God of the sun that you're doing a dance to or sacrificing gerbils to, to, you know what I mean, to make sure that it rains tomorrow or something, right? I'm not saying that, but an idol is anything you put before God. So some of us worship the gym. Some of us worship soccer. Some of us worship our career. 
Some of us worship our kids. Some of us worship whatever. Anything that gets in the way of obedience to God is an idol. In other words, when my career and my faith conflict, my career wins. When my kids' soccer league and my faith conflict, soccer wins, or whatever the thing is. That's all idol and worship is a predecision of who wins, right? So God says, hey, I, I gotta be first. We gotta set this thing straight. I gotta be first because I'm first, right? And the gods, that those other gods are really shallow. And then all throughout the Old Testament, it even says things like, hey, you, you, you're crying out for help. Why don't you ask the God that you've been worshiping for help, right? It goes on to the next one, number two. You shall not make for yourself an idol. And this sounds like a repeat, doesn't it? It sounds like, well, you, you just talked about that. Don't worship other gods. This is actually saying you should not like carve any image of God. Now, again, I'm not saying that we do this, but some of you guys that maybe have family or friends uh, from different religions, especially older religions, uh, would have their the different uh, idols or gods carved, right? So they'll whittle something out of wood, and this is the representation of the god of this or whatever. And more than even representation, they'd actually bow down and worship these idols. And again, it's haunting. In the Old Testament, God would say, do you need help? Uh, why don't you uh, ask that the thing you carved out of wood that can't even stand up on its own to help you, right, if they're so great? So they would offer sacrifice to, they'd pray to, they even fed and clothed uh, these other gods. God is unrepresentable. Whatever we can do, whatever we can recreate, God is obviously bigger. Anything that we can whittle or put together with steel and rock, God is obviously much bigger than that. And you can sacrifice to an idol and then leave that idol behind. And God's saying, look, I'm always with you. I'm always with you, right? And at the end of the day, we have no reason to serve an inanimate object when we serve a living God. Number three, uh, you, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Third commandment. You shall not misuse the name. Some of you memorized it as, uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? And so, uh, your mom was like, and that's why I'm washing your mouth out with soap uh, because you said GD or you dropped the F-bomb or whatever. I'll never forget this one time. <laughs> I was, I was uh, riding, uh, I was mowing the lawn. That uh, was, was my job in my house. It was, a, and it was pretty cool because I couldn't drive yet, but I could ride the riding lawnmower. Uh, this is back in the Midwest when we had these things called yards. Anyways, um, so I was, I was riding this lawnmower and up there was, there was like this hill and I couldn't get the stinking lawnmower. The back wheels were like spinning. And I'm like leaning all 63 pounds of me into the wheels, trying to get this thing to go up. And it's just spinning, kicking out dirt. I can't hear anything because all I can hear is the motor of uh, the, uh, the engine of the, of the lawnmower. My mom is like gardening, like, you know, 20 feet away or whatever. And I just go, F! And I just <laughs> yell out the biggest F-bob just at the top of my lung, just just ticked off of the universe. You know what I mean? Because I can't get up this hill to mow the lawn. Uh, I got in really big trouble. So this is, that's not what this is talking about. You're like, what? I know. Welcome to my brain. This is, do not misuse the, uh, the name of the Lord your God. This has nothing to do with cussing. Do you realize that? Scripturally, we've twisted it. It has nothing to do with it. This is what this, this, this um, commandment means. Not attaching the name of God to something that he's not attached to. Right? Because sometimes, I know you've never done this and you've never seen Christian leaders, but there are some Christians throughout history that have actually attached the name of God to their own agenda to push things that they want, not what God wants, right? And has, have used the name of God to manipulate people. It'd be like if, if you know, I went out to lunch with, um, I don't know, Raphael. I was like, Raphael, God told me. 
Uh, and he's come from a charismatic background, so I'm sure I've heard this before. Uh, not for me, hopefully. Uh, I was like, Raphael, God told me, you're supposed to sell everything and give it to the church. <laughs> you know? Be like, <laughs> Raphael would probably go, okay. But anyways, um, but there's actually, you know, pastors and religious leaders have done things like that, right? I've had people tell me that God told them to leave their wife and kids and pursue their new lady friend. And they have a peace about it because God told them. Right? How cra- I'm like, I don't think that's true. A voice may have told you that, but I don't think that's God's. All throughout history, uh, God's followers have used his name to do things that violate his character. Pharisees, crusades, inquisition, ethnic cleansing, terrorism, hate crimes, uh, bombing abortion clinic, whatever. The list goes on and on and on. God's direction will never violate his character. And God's direction will, uh, direction will never violate his word. And this is exactly what the Lord is trying to avoid, right? So if you feel strongly about something, here's how you approach it. Don't just say, God spoke to me and told me, unless you're sure, okay? Here's what you say. I feel strongly about this. Let it be enough. Let it be enough. And if your argument is paper thin or doesn't make any sense, then maybe it should be pushed over. And if you need to drop God's name in order for it to have weight, maybe it shouldn't have any weight because it's a dumb idea, right? See, in, in the Old Testament, prophets were executed, were executed if they violated this and said that God said things that they actually didn't say. I'm not saying we should bring it back. I'm just saying think about it. Number four, remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Again, this is where the camp legalism, it's like, okay, this is for you. Camp, no responsibility. Every day is not a Sabbath. Okay, so the word Sabbath literally means to stop. It just means to stop. Israel had gone through a season where they were hungry. They wanted food, obviously, because that's what happens when you're hungry. And they, you know, and God gave them the stuff called manna, manna, which literally in Hebrew means what is it? Like it's like they named it what is it because they didn't know what it was, right? And then fast forward, they, you know, wanted God to send them something else instead of this miraculous food, but that's just human nature. So God provided for them daily, and God wanted to show them that God was their provision, not their work or the soil or the economy or their talents. And all those things were important, but God wanted them to recognize their limitations. So take a day a week, rest. Recognize your source. And some of you guys will say, no, God is, yeah, okay, hypothetically, theologically, God is my source. But man, talk, you don't understand how hard I've trained. You don't understand how hard I work. Yeah, I understand that. But every farmer will tell you, they work real hard. You ever seen farmer's hours? They work real hard, but they also cannot make a seed grow. Right? Who gave you the talents that you have? You hustle, you grind, you put in the work, I get it. But there are other people that can put in just as much time and they wouldn't have the results you had because they're not gifted in the same way you are. So why are you gifted? Who does that come from? Who's your source? We get it twisted. And the reality for us is, for me, it's, it's Fridays. It's Fridays. And so I sleep in on Fridays. I go on longer prayer walks. I don't take appointments. I try not to do church work. Now, here's the thing. If someone's like, I'm getting married on a Friday, can you, you know, be a part of the ceremony? Yes, I will be a part of that. I'll just adjust uh, Sabbath to another, another day. But this is an understanding that God is my source, not me, right? And then when I die, there will, my inbox will be, have in, emails in it. My to-do list will still have stuff. There'll be people expecting things of me, right? There's gonna be projects that are left undone when I die. And if I know that to be true, why not act like it now? Just take a day. And if you cannot take a day, what does that say about what you believe? If you cannot, well, talk about will the world stop spinning if you take a, a day and honor God? 
then what will happen when you die? We better keep you alive because you are a national treasure. The world will stop spinning when you die. We got to figure this out, right? No one is that important. So think about this. The first four commands are all about affirming relationship with them. It's all four about affirming relationship and the standard of relationship. And when you see that, you see that it's an obvious extension of God's grace. Rules, laws, God's law is never given to establish relationship. God's law is always there to confirm relationship. That's a really important thing. You don't give rules to someone to create relationship. You give rules and guidelines to establish relationship. Let me give you a dumb example. Years ago, we had a white Siberian husky named Sugar. She's a rescue. She was awesome, and she shed like crazy, okay? Now, Sugar was a rescue. She was all kinds of dysfunctional, okay? She was probably like seven or eight when we got her. A lot of time in her life to establish weird behavior. So when do you think we taught Sugar about the rules of our house? Like, you know, where to poop and like where to sleep and how to walk on a leash, which she was her- terrible at. Like, when did, like, before we brought her home or after? After. Why? Because rules don't make any sense before we have relationship, right? How crazy would it be if we went to her previous house and stole her, took her to our house, and she's like, the old owner's like, hey, can you give my dog back? It's not your dog. These rules determine that she's ours. That doesn't make any sense right? Every once in a while, what Sugar would do is she would like sprint out of the house and run like a husky would except just around the neighborhood. And there was one time I was so ticked off. It's like the thousand times she did this. And I drove my car around because she could she'd just run and run for like ever. And she was on the edge of a field and I parked my car. It's probably like one in the morning. I was so ticked off. And I, ha- I got my keys and I, I'm like, I got to get her attention. Because if I can get her attention, because she's like looking around, right? If I can get her attention, she might like listen to me actually come back in the car. So I'm like, sugar, sugar. That sound like an idiot. And then I get my keys. I don't know why I did this. And I chucked them at her. Try to get her attention. Obviously missed uh, by a country mile. And now she's still not looking at me. I don't know where my keys are. <laughs> my, my car is like, parked on the side of the road with the door open. I'm like, oh, I just made a bad situation worse. Anyways, so every once in a while, you know, she had like her name tag on with like uh, my number and stuff. So a neighbor would call and say, hey, your dog's in our yard again, okay? How weird would it be if I said, that's not my dog. She's not in my house anymore. She's not in the boundaries of our house anymore. So you must be confused. It's no longer our dog, right? Why do I say that? It's obvious when we think about sugar, but it, it, we don't think about it too often with us. Obedience doesn't determine relationship, right? Or else, like, our kids would be homeless all the time, right? Obedience doesn't determine relationship. Sugar did not earn her way into this relationship, and we don't earn our relationship with God either, right? The next six laws, the next six laws are all set up for autonomy and liberty, and remember, they were, they were coming from a world where they were treated like less than, like they were treated like animals or commodities in the nation of Egypt. And what these laws do, these next six, now we're going to fly through these, they gave everyone dignity, regardless of age, ethnicity, color, gender, like all of it. It, it, it was, gave everyone dignity. So number five, honor your father and mother. Every parent said amen, right? Honor your father and mother. Honor, the word here, actually refers to nobility, right? Parents are like, yes, that's right. That's right. Kings, priests, dignitaries, honor. 
It doesn't say obey your father and mother. That's implied. Honor. Why? Why? One, because our nation will never be as stronger than our families. Two, if we can honor flawed parents, this is not saying honor and obey them because they're awesome. This says regardless, honor them. Honor them. Because if we can honor flawed parents, the next five are a whole lot easier to follow. Right? Number six, don't murder. In other words, honor life. Honor life, man. Like, you don't get to determine when life begins, and you don't get to determine when life ends. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much platform, prestige, position you have, you don't get to determine uh, when a life begins or when someone's life ends. And this was so countercultural for their that. And they're like, no Pharaoh decides when someone's going to die. Nope. No one gets to do that anymore. So don't murder. Honor life. Seven, don't commit adultery. In other words, honor one another's marriages. Don't be a homewrecker, right? You don't want someone doing that in your marriage? Don't do that with someone else's. Number eight, don't give false testimony. In other words, honor the reputation of others. Don't lie. Don't gossip. Don't spread misinformation. Why? Because you wouldn't want someone doing that for you. Honor. Honor. Number nine, don't steal. In other words, honor what someone else has worked for and earned. Because isn't that what you want someone to do with your stuff that you worked for, you earned? Don't steal. Honor them in the same way you want them to honor you. And lastly, don't covet your neighbor's things. In other words, coveting is wanting something so badly that someone else has that it erodes your relationship with them right? I wish I had their house. I wish I had their car. I wish I had their relationship. I wish I had their kids. I wish, right? And the jealousy of them makes you ungrateful for what God is a slap in the face to God, that what he gave you isn't enough. And ultimately, it robs you of joy, doesn't it? You'll, you'll never find someone full of joy that's full of jealousy. See, gratitude doesn't give you more stuff. Gratitude makes what you have enough right? So this is, this is the Ten Commandments. These six can be summed up in one phrase, honor one another. Honor one another. Almost like when Jesus said, hey, when, when they were asking what's the greatest commandment, love God and love people. Kind of sounds like Ten Commandments. Love God, first four. Keep him first. Last six, love people. Honor people. And the following these Ten Commandments, Israel will be a priestly nation among other nations. The same with us. Because of grace, we're forgiven. We have a relationship with him. Because of grace, we're given dignity and honor and power and freedom and purpose. And people get to see that we're different. And when you look at laws in this light, you'll see how the author of Psalms would say insane things. I never understood this because I grew up in a house full of law. But in like Psalm 119, the longest psalm, it says over and over again that he delights in the law. And I'm like, I don't delight in speed limits and like rules and all these curfews that my parents have for me. I don't delight in that stuff. I didn't understand it, Right? That's why psalmist could say that. And at the end of the day, you were invited into relationship in the same way that Adam and Eve was and Moses and Abraham, that we're invited into a promise to trust God, that the rules that God has for you, the guidelines that God has for you. And hey, listen, the guidelines that God has for you are gonna be different than the person next to you, right? The stuff that's universally true in scripture, okay, we don't, that's non-debatable. But I, I can't say how many times growing up in the church if someone's like, God told me not to watch TV, so no one should watch TV. God told me not to listen to this kind of music, so no one should listen to that kind of music. No, maybe you, sh you couldn't listen to that stuff because that's where you're weak. It has nothing to do with me, right? 
So there are things that God says I cannot do and it has nothing to do with my greatness. It doesn't puff pride up in me because they're areas of my weakness, right? And so they're not rules for you. They're rules for me because if something's going to take, if I said, hey, 10 years from now, when in the future, you had a moral failure, I bet you could tell me top one or two things that you know you failed in, right? Without even knowing the future, you know it was probably this, was most money, oh, it was relationships, wasn't it? Right? You know where you're weak. So then the guidelines God's going to give you is to protect those areas. Right? 